0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. Good morning again, everybody. My name is Alden Bowman. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Oak Hill. I also have the honor of preaching from God's Word this morning. We are in week five of the Back to the Basic sermon series this morning, and I will be speaking to you about the marks of true repentance as brought to life from 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, focusing on verses 10 through 13. So far in this sermon series, we have reviewed God's big plan of love, the law, love God, love others, The Gospel, Saved by Grace for Good Works. And then this past Sunday, Nick Freed preached on baptism. Dead to sin. Alive to God. The purpose for this sermon series is strengthening every disciple in the fundamentals of following Jesus. Although the sermon series title could lead you to believe that the 12 Sundays that we are devoting to this sermon series are basic in nature, I am learning that perhaps this series is more foundational in nature than basic. I'm not arguing about the title. We agreed to that a while ago. But what I am suggesting is that our faith in Jesus Christ should rock our world and the world of people around us. There is nothing more transformational that is offered on this side of heaven than to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. Last week, Nick shared with us that once we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, our lives should reflect that of a person set free from the bondage of sin, that we would give ourselves to the transformational work of the Holy Spirit, and that we we should give ourselves to the One who redeemed us. And today we are going to add on to the thought process of what it means to be sanctified how our position in Christ should drive our practice here on earth. Take a look at this graphic that you may have seen back in December of last year when we were going through the Way sermon series. This depicts both the regeneration or conversion that Nick discussed from Romans 6 last week and what we will be covering today, repentance, or said another way, genuine belief we will be spending our time today on the area of the right side of the cross where we are already justified by God, but but we are beginning to be sanctified by Him as well. To be clear, the work in our hearts is done by the Holy Spirit as He continues to work in us over time. Left to our own will, we would not accomplish a heart of repentance. And because of that, we would never grow in our faith of Jesus Christ. Repentance is changing your mind from rejection of Christ to faith in Christ. Today's sermon title is The Marks of True Repentance as we continue in the Back to the Basic sermon series. Many years ago, not long after Monica and I had decided to make Oak Hill our permanent church family, and during a sermon series that I frankly don't remember the name of, And when Pastor Nate Newell was still our pastor, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart and did a work in me that I will never forget. You see, I was living my life for me. I was lying to myself that I was the leader of the home and that I was a good provider and a good husband and father. During that period of time in my life, I traveled a lot, and I mean a lot. I was on an airplane or living in a hotel room 75% of the time during a month. I was making an excellent wage, and I was blessed to be able to see many parts of this great country and meet some amazing people. That being said, Monica was basically a single parent. I would leave on Monday morning and come back Friday night. I would delude myself into thinking that this is just the way life was and that I was still a good father. And husband. Now, mind you, I had become a believer in Jesus Christ in my early 30s and was baptized the day before I was married to Monica. It is important to me that you understand something. Looking back, I can see how I was baptized by the Holy Spirit as we went through pre-marriage counseling, and I desired and even thirsted for Christ to be in our life and for God to be in our marriage but I was no, by no means a mature Christian. Anyhow, back to my moment of conviction. You have to wonder sometime why God picks the times he picks to convict our hearts. I was sitting in my upgraded first class seat on a Delta Airlines flight from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, flying back to Minneapolis that I could take another flight to get back to Baltimore to get home on a Friday evening. And God squeezed my heart so hard, I couldn't stand it. I started crying and was convicted of how wrong I was to think that I was actually living out my biblical roles as a husband and father. I was lying to myself, and God had stripped away my pride and laid me bare before him. And he revealed to me my sin. You need to note who did this work. It wasn't me. It was God. I don't share this with you to make me the main point of this story. But rather that you would see the work of God in my life. So what was the outcome of this conviction and repentance? Well, I changed jobs, thinking that that would fix everything. It was a job that would give me more nights at home. Here again, I was kidding myself. But more than anything, I started the process of trying to live out my biblical role as a husband and as a father. You need to also know that correcting this sin took many years. And I could probably argue that God is still working on me. Our sin has consequences to ourselves and to those around us. But God did not forsake me. From my point of view, we don't celebrate enough the repentance God causes in our lives. There are many places in Scripture that talk about enduring trials and suffering in order to become more mature in Christ. So don't run away from the work God wants to do in your life. Rather, embrace it and count it all joy, for you have not been forsaken. I'm now going to spend a little time giving you some background on the Apostle Paul's relationship and activities with the Corinthian church to help support what we're going to be reading about here in Second Corinthians later this morning. In order to understand the context and interpretation of 2 Corinthians, I've decided to agree with many biblical scholars We say that Paul actually wrote four letters and made three visits to the Corinthian church. The four letters go in this order. The first letter was that that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5.9. The second letter is what is now in God's Word known as 1 Corinthians. The third letter, which we're going to talk about more this morning, was a tearful, severe letter mentioned in 2 Corinthians 2 verses 3 and 4. We will review this further this morning and then the fourth letter was that which is now second corinthians in god's word the central theme of corinthians second corinthians is the relationship between suffering and the power of the spirit in paul's apostolic life ministry and in his message in addition to calling into question paul's motives in organizing a collection for believers in judea in questioning his personal courage Paul's opponents had argued that Paul suffered too much to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. I'm going to repeat that sentence for effect. Paul's opponents had argued that Paul suffered too much to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. Paul argues that he his weakness as an apostle is the very means by which believers are comforted and God in Christ is made known to the world. Paul's sufferings embody the cross of Christ, while his endurance in adversity with thanksgiving and contentment manifest the resurrection power of the Spirit. Paul's sufferings as an apostle is, is thus the very means God uses to reveal God's glory. Paul, therefore, sees a close tie between the Corinthians' acceptance of his apostleship and the genuineness of their faith. We need to understand that to understand the Second Corinthians letter and also where we're going to land today. To reject Paul and his proclamation is to reject Christ himself. Since Paul's message, ministry, and manner of life are one, This explains why 2 Corinthians is the most personal of all of Paul's letters, filled with deep emotion. Paul loved the believers of Jesus Christ in Corinth. Whenever I read scripture that Paul wrote by the power of the Holy Spirit, there are many times that I kind of wonder how pompous and self-filled Paul must have been. You might call that heresy but oftentimes I see his boldness for Christ. I stopped questioning that in my study for today. And I'll explain more why here in a little bit. We're going to use 2 Corinthians. You might want to get your Bible out. Chapter 7, verses 10 through 13 this morning to show us how God worked in a body of new believers in Corinth. How godly grief or sorrow is quite different than worldly grief or sorrow. What the fruit of repentance looks like, what our role of repentance should be, and how much joy, yes, joy, can be received as we go through the sanctification process that is a result of repentance. The big idea for today's scripture is rejoice in the fruit that God, godly grief brings in repentance unto salvation. say it again. Rejoice in the fruit that godly grief brings in repentance unto salvation. Read with me starting in the 10th verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It reads, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. My first mark for today's scripture in the mark of repentance is the heart of repentance, godly grief. Paul contrasts in verse 10. Two forms of grief, godly grief with worldly grief. A natural question would be to ask, so why the contrast, Paul? What are you trying to tell us here? I suspect that Paul has experienced these two forms of grief, understanding that he wasn't always a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's sharing this difference with us in order that we might know the difference. In short, God is involved in one, and he is not in the other worldly or godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret and worldly grief produces death godly grief produces repentance unto salvation when the holy spirit produces a heart in us that loves jesus more than the particular sin or sins in our lives it causes us to thirst for christ and not self and we do not and we do so without regret Or stated differently, we do it willingly or happily because we are sick and tired of how we had been sinning. Whereas worldly grief produces a desire to cover up what the world has now seen in order that we might regain our position or standing in this world. Ultimately, our heart isn't changed by Christ in worldly grief. But rather, we seek protection at all, itself at all, at all costs. This slide depicts what worldly grief looks like in an unrepentant heart. Instead of growing deeper and deeper in our knowledge of God's holiness, we try to perform better by trying harder, by having flesh driven accountability, by trying to pay off our own sin with good or by trying harder, or by writing our own virtue list. And instead of having a deeper knowledge of our sinfulness, we try to hide it, or dress up our sin, or justify it, or blame shift, or wallow in our sin. And then in verse 11, Paul shares what godly grief has produced in the Christian Corinthians when he says, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. And so, the first mark of repentance is godly grief. And the second mark is the fruit of repentance. Heart change. Heart change. We see here how the Corinthian Christians responded to the actions of the Holy Spirit collectively and individually in their hearts. I'm going to focus first on how they responded, and then we'll deal with the matter that's mentioned on the end of verse 11 that Paul refers to. Paul states that the godly grief that the Corinthian Christians left, I mean, felt, caused earnestness in their actions. Earnestness here is describing as having a sincerity and intensity of purpose to make amends. Eagerness here is defined as having a sense of an impatient desire or interest in vindicating oneself. Indignation against Paul's opponent. Fear or alarm at their own passivity in its injurious effects. Remember, sin has consequences and a longing and concern for Paul. Ultimately, the Corinthian Christians gain a desire or readiness to see justice done. Take a look at this graphic to see how godly grief looks different than worldly grief. Looking at this graph, you can see godly grief leads us to a deeper knowledge of God's holiness as well as a deeper knowledge of our sinfulness and her desperate need for Christ. Repentance refers to a deeply seated and thorough turning from self to Christ. It occurs when a radical turning to God takes place, an experience in which God is recognized as the most important fact to one's existence. We become small, and God becomes increasingly more significant as depicted by the increasing size of the cross in this graphic. We need to rely on the work of the Spirit to change our hearts. Repentance is the outcome of loving Jesus more than we love the sin that's in our life. In order to further support this second mark, the fruit of repentance, heart change, I would like to share with you part of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was authored by David and is a result of Nathan the prophet, convicting him of his sins, both in his committing adultery with Bathsheba and in his arranging for murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Look with me on the screen at Psalm 51, verses 3 through 5. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. In this section of Psalm 51, we see David owning up to his sin. That That he not only has hurt other people, but he has sinned against a holy God and deserves, as we all do, judgment. And he acknowledges that sin has been with him and he has concede, since he was conceived in his mother's womb. David isn't trying to hide from what he has done or make excuses for it. And some would say the sins that David committed are pretty significant sins. I will suggest to you it's a pretty slippery slope to say that one sin is worse than another. God still used David. Here David's heart longs for God, and he has become humble. He is turning from self and toward a holy God. He has had a heart change. Now let's deal with the matter, the word that's at the end of verse eleven in Second Corinthians seven. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23, through 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4. It's going to be on the screen for you to gain some insight into the matter that Paul refers to at the end of verse 11. I'm sharing this with you to give you background on Paul's interaction with the Corinthian Christians and how it relates to my upcoming mark of repentance. It reads, But I call God to witness against me, It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction, in anguish of heart, in many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This third letter was written as a result of Paul having a painful visit in Corinth based on the church's open rebellion against him. At that time, Paul decided it was best to suffer humiliation and leave without retaliating in order to extend mercy to the Corinthian Christians. After leaving Corinth and arriving in Ephesus, Paul sent Titus back to Corinth with a tearful letter of exhortation. The letter dealt with their following or listening to a single false teacher or a group of false teachers. Paul was concerned, and he wrote a letter sharing his concern with the Corinthians. He did so with much affliction and with anguish in his heart. I'm sharing this with you not only to help you understand what matter Paul was referring to at the end of verse 11, but to set the stage for my third mark of repentance. Paul chose to write a letter, a letter of exhortation, because he was upset by what he saw the Corinthian Christians doing. They were following false teachers and not following Paul and Paul's teaching. So our first mark of repentance is the heart of repentance, godly grief. Our second mark is the fruit of repentance, Heart change. And now, our third mark of repentance is our role in repentance humility found in truth and love. As we continue on with verse 12, which reads So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God, Paul's primary motive in writing this letter was for the benefit of the Corinthians. Most important in Paul's mind was their well-being, which Paul realized was bound up with their acceptance of his message and of him as an apostle. We should not miss the second half of verse 12 that states, Your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. All of the Corinthians' actions are done before an all-seeing God and before whom Paul also carries out his ministry. Paul loved the Corinthian Christians so much that he was willing to speak truth to them, even at the potential of hurting them or their feelings towards him. This was painful for Paul, and probably also painful for the Corinthians. But despite this, Paul wrote the letter anyhow, One side of the repentance coin is a believer's response that was caused by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. But the other side of the repentance coin as seen here is how a believer in Jesus Christ is willing to speak truth and love to other believers, pointing them toward the need for repentance in their life. I've had the experience of being used by God to speak truth and love to another believer. And I have to tell you, it took me way too long to get the courage to have the conversation. I was afraid that I would hurt the person I was speaking to, and I didn't want to damage our relationship. But with tears streaming down my cheeks, I said what I felt God had laid on my heart. And as Paul experienced in the scenario presented in 2 Corinthians 7 that we are studying today, my dear fellow brother in Christ humbly approached the throne of God and saw his sin for what it was. His response was humble, and he was eager to act in order to close a divide that had been growing between him and another brother in Christ. It should be noted in this that we need to have soft and humble hearts to have God do the work He has for us in repenting our sin. Any of you with children that have had to sit at the bedside of your child, see sin for what it is and cry with them of how much it hurts to tell them the truth and to help them see the true nature of sin in our life. But it's a blessing given by God. Matthew 18.15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Whether we are called to speak truth and love to another or we are the one receiving the truth and love from a fellow believer in Christ. God wants to do his work in us so that we can cling to Jesus Christ and not to our sin. I may be wrong, but I believe many in our part of Lancaster County have a hard time speaking truth and love. Don't get me wrong. I feel we need to consider and pray before we are going to a brother or sister in Christ and discussing what God has placed on our hearts. But I also want to be clear. We aren't doing each other any favors by holding back from what God has asked us to do. And when we do speak, we need to do it with the humblest of hearts and with the knowledge that we have sinned, all of us, and have fallen short of the glory of God so so far our marks of repentance are one the heart of repentance godly grief second the fruit of repentance heart change third our role in repentance humility found in truth and then our final mark for today is the joy of repentance unity in christ 2 corinthians 7:13 reads therefore We are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So hang with me on this one. Let's get this right. God compels Paul to write a letter to the Corinthian Christians in order for them to see how they are guilty of accepting or working with a false teacher that has opposed Paul's correct teaching on the gospel. They respond by wanting to have nothing to do with this false teacher and act to correct the scenario. Then Titus and Paul are comforted and filled with joy, and their spirits are refreshed. God has received much glory and honor, and only with the Holy Spirit constantly pointing Paul and the Corinthian Christians to Christ does this somehow work out for the good of everyone involved. This world that we live in would have us believe that this can't work. What the world doesn't know is that with God, all things are possible. With the Holy Spirit in us constantly pointing us to Christ, His work can and will be done in us, and we will be made mature in Christ as we are sanctified over time. Through repentance, Unto salvation. Galatians six one says, "Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are spirit who are you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching on yourself. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted." I implore you to seek to grow in maturity in Christ. Allow the work of repentance to sanctify you and grow you into the maturing Christian God wants you to be. Repentance is not a work we do to earn salvation. No one can repent and come to God unless God pulls that person to himself. Repentance is something God gives. It is only possible because His grace. No one can repent unless God grants repentance. All of salvation, including repentance and faith, is a result of God drawing us, opening our eyes, and changing our hearts. God's long-suffering leads us to repentance, as does His kindness and His grace. I'm going to share with you Revelations 3.19, which a good friend and brother in Christ shared with me this week. It reads, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that you give us humble boldness for you, that you would soften our hearts in order that we may receive the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May you convict us of what we need convicting of. May you use our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into our lives and be used by you for your glory and your good. Lord, help us to see our sin for what it is. And help us to see how badly and desperately, Lord, We need you in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.